Welcome back, everyone, to Moving Right Along, a Muppet Movie Podcast, brought to you by ToughPigs.com. This is the podcast where we watch The Great Muppet Caper two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Ryan Rowe. And I'm your other host, Anthony Strand. And welcome back, everyone, and welcome back, Anthony. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm we've, so excited, Ryan. <laughs> well, we've been away for a while. We had a couple episodes in between, and now... We're jumping into the second feature film starring the Muppets, and I can I should probably say right at the top, this is my favorite Muppet movie. I think it's Me yours. Too. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm so well, I'm so excited. It's gonna I think it's gonna be fun just because this movie doesn't get talked about as much as the Muppet movie in general. You you don't hear you see a lot more writing yeah. uh, online about the Muppet movie, which is a great movie that we both love, obviously. Absolutely. You don't see that same level of enthusiasm for this one. It, it so, might also uh, even be less enthused about than the Muppets Take Manhattan because I feel like a lot of people like encountered that on TV when they were kids a lot, but yeah, not so this much one, this one. This one was not on TV as much. I remember seeing the Muppet movie, like I talked about, we had that on tape. Muppets Take Manhattan felt like it was on Disney Channel constantly. And the only time I saw this as a kid, um, until I got the VHS when I was 15, the only time I saw this was on WGN Chicago mm. when, I, when I was about eight. And then I kind of like didn't even – it was like a hazy memory. It was like, what's that one where they get thrown out of an airplane? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's good that WGN was there for you then. Yeah. And today we're looking at minutes one and two of The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, in case anyone is wondering, we are – specifically watching the Columbia TriStar and Jim Henson Home Entertainment DVD release, which was first released in 1999, which is 20 years ago, which does not possibly seem like it could be true. Uh, in minutes one and two, we see the, the Jim Henson Pictures logo, because this is that DVD. Then we see Animal Roaring and three of our friends floating through the opening credits and a hot air balloon. All true. All true. So... Starting with the Jim Henson Pictures logo, which we talked about a little bit uh, in the Muppet Movie series of this podcast, so you can go back and listen to that to find out more. Uh, that should also be fun because I don't think we really uh, knew what we were doing yet at that point. Do we still? Do we now, well, right? Maybe we can fake it a little better. Yeah. But yeah, so this was added uh, after the fact this was not on the original release. Right. You can tell because you hear Steve Whitmire's Kermit. That's true, yes. And then a few seconds later, you hear uh, Jim Henson's Kermit. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing we see in the actual movie is... Uh, actually, what happens first? Is it the fade-up of the 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 border here? Or is it... It's the name Lord Grade Presents. That's first, the it's the name Lord Grade Presents. And we talked about Lord Lou Grade last time, yes. too. So I don't... Who was the, just, he was the producer of The Muppet Show, and he's, he's back to produce this one. So yeah, Jim Henson needed a lot of money to produce a TV show and some movies, and Lord Lou Grade gave it to him. Basically, it's yeah. a little, little more complicated than that. But um, although I did want to note that in between the release of the Muppet movie and this one, Lord Grade produced a movie called Raise the Titanic, which came out in 1980, which was an extremely expensive box office flop. So he. Lost a lot of money on that one, so he was probably really hoping that, that this movie did well. Uh, his famous line about Raise the Titanic was, it would have been cheaper to lower the Atlantic. 
And of course, everyone learned their lesson and nobody ever tried to make an expensive movie about the Titanic ever again. Never happened. Never happened again. And then the first Muppet that we see in this movie is Animal. And here he is framed by this ornate border that looks like the famous MGM Pictures logo, which has, of course, a roaring lion in the center. Uh, Animal roars like the lion, sort of, kind of in an animal way. Um, and then, I, I, and I love that. Then he notices the hot air balloon and goes. Ah! Well, that happens in a second. Um, I, I was going to say though, there I can think of a few other notable spoofs of the MGM logo. Um, the the Marx Brothers did this in the Night at the Opera, where they're in the center, roar like Gracho and Chico roar, and then Harpo tries to roar and he can't, so he honks his horn. Mm-hmm. And then there was the MTM Enterprises uh, logo, which was the production company founded by Mary Tyler Moore which had a kitten meowing. And um, even more absurdly, on Newhart, not the Bob Newhart show where it was the kitten meowing. Oh, right. On Newhart, the kitten's meow was replaced by Bob Newhart saying meow. Meow, yeah. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's Animal is in good company here. Um, right, so then he immediately starts eating this border, this frame, and this feels a little bit like one of those moments where... Uh, the lines between Animal and Cookie Monster sort of blur a little bit. Because Cookie Monster eats everything he sees. Animal sometimes eats everything he sees. But Animal here is even going om nom 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 nom, which is a very Cookie cool. Monster. Very Cookie Monster. But also yes. in the previous movie, he ate a seat cushion. He talked about eating his drums. That's true. Yeah, the seat cushion, I, I guess. I feel like movie animal is more into that kind of thing. Interesting. Movie animal. That would be an interesting thing to look at. What yeah. unusual <laughs> things, if any, did he eat on the Muppet Show? Yeah, I can't think of any. Huh. But, All right, listeners, anyways, tell us in the comments. So yeah. yeah, this is a really cool shot though, where the camera starts pushing in as Animal is eating this thing, and there's a, a real hot air balloon up in the sky, and he notices it and goes, "Ah." Ah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And Animal and the Hot Air Balloon were filmed at the same time. These days you would probably do this just with an animated hot air balloon. But um, so this was filmed on February 1st, 1981. This was the last thing they shot for the movie. And uh, it was filmed in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is the home of the annual Albuquerque International Balloon Festival, so they they know their hot air balloons over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's actually a segment from the CBS News Sunday Morning Show that recently surfaced on YouTube where you can see them shooting this scene. Have you watched that? I did. It's great. It's really amazing. It's really cool. Yeah, you can see that they actually just sort of have this this frame rigged up on a platform, and they're the cameras just shooting through it. I did wonder how many of these frames do you think they built to presumably do multiple takes of animal eating this thing. Right. I'm sure a few. I mean, I'm sure more than one. Because he's definitely tearing into it. You can't You can't fix that. You can't, you can't put it back together, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, so who is in the basket of this hot air balloon? It's Kermit the Frog, Fozzie Bear, and Gonzo. That's right. Um, and actually, can I... On Muppet Wiki, there is a description from the Muppet Show fan club newsletter about the shooting of this sequence. Yeah, yeah, there's some really interesting stuff. Go ahead. Um, So I was just going to read part of it here. 
so this is from that fan club newsletter. So it, it's it's directed towards young fans. In Albuquerque, we shot the hot air balloon sequence, which comes at the beginning of the film. It wasn't easy because there were so many variables. Hermit, Fozzie, and Gonzo went up in a genuine hot air balloon. If the wind blew, the balloon wouldn't go up. When the balloon did go up, a helicopter with a cameraman suspended underneath it followed it around. We tried to find a bird to work the camera, but the chickens didn't like the idea and threatened to strike. <laughs> so and there's more. I won't read the whole thing, but it's a lot of fun, and it's genuinely informative also. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm really uh, glad someone added it to the wiki. Yeah. Well, as long as we're talking about that part of it, um, the way that they that the real people making this movie filmed that um, in the hot air balloon that we see in the the wider shots in the distance, there are radio controlled versions of Kermit, Fozzie and Gonzo. <clears throat> and then there are two helicopters in one helicopter is Jim Henson, Frank Oz and Dave Goals with uh, Waldos, those, those radio control things that look like oven mitts that control puppets from a distance. Mm -hmm. So they're in a helicopter with those so they can control the puppets and the balloon. And then the other helicopter is the one that has the, the camera operator dangling below, which seems extremely dangerous. I, I would not want to be the guy hanging under that helicopter. No. No, me neither. <laughs> and then uh, they also, um, during one take, when the the balloon came down, it came down too fast. The basket tipped over, and uh, the Fozzie puppet got burned by the the burners from the balloon. So uh, Amy Van Gilder from the Muppet Workshop, who was uh, present for that shoot, was able to fix the Fozzie puppet for the next take. That is why... Yeah, that's why in the closing credits, she's credited as Muppet Doctor. Ah, uh, huh. Awesome. Yeah. And the other thing I have about that is uh, Dave Goals has said that they shot this hot air balloon stuff for five days in New Mexico. And every night they went out to dinner and had margaritas. Cool. So just think about them all drinking margaritas when you see this scene. Right. So here's the credits. More credits. Uh, the first one that we get next is a Jim Henson film. Now, I think we all know who this guy is. But this is his debut feature. That is true. This, this is, is his first uh, directorial uh, film. Well, but but also, I was thinking about it. He he had, of course, directed other things, shorts and specials. He directed Timepiece, probably most famously, the oh, right. Academy Award short. Yes. But he directed Hey Cinderella, The Frog Prince, Mubble Musicians of Bremen, Emma Daughter's Jug Band Christmas. Um, but... He had ne he never directed the Muppet Show. He didn't direct a single episode of the Muppet Show, which means that this is the first time he ever directed Piggy or Fozzie or Gonzo or Scooter oh, or Animal. Yeah, in a movie, like he had he had of course directed Frank Oz and Dave Goals and who you know Richard Hunt and everyone in things. This never occurred but, to me, but the Muppet Show was pretty much all directed by uh, Peter Harris and who was the other guy? Philip Kaysan. And it wasn't pretty much, it was every episode was directed by one of those two gentlemen. Right. So do you think that that might've been like a, a, a British union thing where they had to, like maybe they couldn't use American director. I have no idea, but I'm just speculating. Yeah. I have no idea. It seems um, like Jim or Frank might've wanted to direct that episode at one point, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I would also think it's such a, there was such a short turnaround too, that it made sense to have just these, standard directors who knew That's, the you know, knew the staging knew the blocking that they yeah. needed 
You know what I mean? That's true. And Jim also, had a lot to worry about. Jim had a lot to worry about, and Frank had a lot to worry about. Even, yeah. I mean, not as much as Jim probably, but and also they. My understanding is that a lot of the non-guest star bits, they would. I mean, they'd shoot like a bunch of at the dances in a row or whatever. Yeah, you know, they, that sounds they, right. They, yeah, you'd shoot multiple vets hospitals or whatever. It's not like. It's not like every episode was a discrete unit one week. Right. You know, Stetler and Waldorf bits, they would just kind of do a bunch, right? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So anyways, here's Jim Henson directing Miss Piggy and Fozzie for the first time. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Now, in a second, we cut to uh, a closer shot of the basket of the balloon. And at that point, we're no longer looking at the radio-controlled Muppets in the sky. We're looking at uh, just the, the traditional hand puppets. Presumably, the three puppeteers, or or possibly four, are crowded in this basket. Um, I actually don't know. Was this in that the CBS clip? Did they shoot this at the same time? I don't. I don't remember. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So this this might be inside. This might be outside. I don't know. But. Um, it, it's just one of those neat little moments where normally when you're watching the movie, not two minutes at a time, you don't really think about it. It's mm-hmm. just like, there's, there's, uh, the Muppets and then here's the closer shot and there are the Muppets again. Kermit comments on how nice it is up here. Fozzie is worried about drifting away or getting struck by lightning. And Gonzo says, that'd be neat, which is a very, uh, brief, but very efficient way of, uh, reintroducing or even introducing for the first time these characters to new and old audiences. Yeah, Kermit Kermit is thoughtful, Fozzie is nervous, Gonzo is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Gonzo is so good in this this minute and a half, by the way. They do so much work establishing who Gonzo is and just like letting him be a complete maniac. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, I didn't write down all of these, but he wants to try this without the balloon plummeting and then what's so great what, what i love there is he says i'd love to try without the balloon kermit says try what plummeting and gonzo goes yeah <laughs> right uh and then kermit says i suppose you could try it once and then like and then you get the thing later a little a little bit later on where gonzo says i wonder how far you could plummet before you blacked out yeah yeah that's it <laughs> and then he goes and then he goes sure is tempting yeah and he's just like wistful like he just really wants it. Like it's not a joke to him. No, all no. he wants to do is fall to the ground and see what happens. That's a really good point. It's not like he wants to do it for a performance or he wants everybody to watch him do it. He just really wants to try it. Right, right. It's great. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it's wow. Stuff, and I just love it so much. Yeah, yeah. I like Gonzo. Uh, and then here's the title. It's the Great Muppet Caper. Oh, and with that gorgeous lens flare behind it, and uh, and an uh, or- orchestral flourish on this the soundtrack. Yeah, like J.J. Abrams has spent his entire career trying to recapture that shot. You know, I almost made a note or a joke about J.J. Abrams, but I didn't. But thank you for uh, for fulfilling that requirement. Somebody, somebody had to do it. Yes, that's look at that. He did not invent lens flares but he will forever be associated with them mm-hmm. uh fozzy says nice title and in fact it took the filmmakers a long time to decide on a title for this movie during development and production they were just calling it muppet movie 2 um jim henson asked his 
staff to suggest possible titles. I think they had some sort of contest. I don't know what the prize was, but um, so these uh, these were on Jim Henson's Red Book. I think all the ones that I'm about to tell you were from David O'Dell, the Muppet Show writer. Uh, his suggestions included Valley of the Dolls, Foam on the Range, Rubber that is, I Want to Hold Your Arm Wire, For Muppets Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Connection Is Not Enough. Oh, man, for real? Well, I, I, he's a comedy writer. I don't think he well, actually... Like, that joke, like a like a For Colored Girls reference? I, I mean, talk to David O'Dell. That's a... That's... That's a that's that's genuinely startling to me. Yes, it is. That's a good word for it. Um, and then foreign correspondence, sow by Southwest, a froggy day in London, the sty is the limit, ham and legs, how green was my Kermit, can't stop the Muppets, and another boring turkey from the Muppets. <laughs> Which that I would actually love to see a Muppet movie called another boring Muppet another movie. Boring. Another boring um, turkey. From and the then, <laughs> right. And then other people suggested Muppet Mania, Muppets Against Evil, Muppets Are Forever, Secret Muppet Man, This Little Piggy Gets Diamonds, Muppet Master Plan, Muppet Mayhem, Gumshoe Muppets, Muppet Intrigue, Muppets Mean Business, Diamonds Are For Muppets, Pigski and Toad, Muppets Meet a Mystery with Muppets, uh, wait, From Muppets With Love, Muppets Make Good, and then a young Lisa Henson suggested the Great Muppet Capade, which morphed into the Great Muppet Caper. Oh, awesome, good for Lisa. Did, yeah, did you have thoughts on any of those other suggestions? Um, well, the James Bond. There's so we have at least three James Bond spoofs, right? Yeah, and that's not even a complete list. I just took certain Muppet, selections. But oh, even among the ones you said, you said right. Muppets are forever, diamonds are for Muppets, and. What what was the third one for Muppet Eyes Only or something? Um, yes, from Muppets with Love. Right. So you have two. What I think is fascinating is that it's 1981, and there are three Bond spoof titles, and they're all Sean Connery movies. Oh, interesting. They're not even. There's not a, There's. No, I mean, it's two different. I mean, Diamonds Are Forever is one movie, but still, there's no Muppet Raker. Or something, you know, which would be like the recent. No, I don't the think there was a Moonraker reference in the list that I found. Uh, what was the most recent one in 1981? Well, in in 81, that's the year that For Your Eyes Only came out. Oh, okay. But so Moonraker would have been 79. So that would have been the newest one when they were in the, in development. Oh, I see. So yeah, Muppet Raker. I don't know for Muppet yeah. Eyes Only. Anyway. But yeah, I, I just I think it's a good title, The Great Muppet Caper. Yeah, it's much better than Secret Muppet Man. Yes. Uh, I, I'm not actually sure exactly what a caper is, but it just sounds right. A caper, it's like a heist, right? I guess so. So the next credit then is music and lyrics by Joe Raposo. Hey, Ryan. Yes. Who is Joe Raposo? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is a guy who had worked with the Muppets before, of course, on Sesame Street. But even before that, he worked with Jim Henson uh, on the TV special Hey Cinderella. And was there one other thing? Am I forgetting something? Uh, that's the one I know of. I mean, yeah. that's the one I, th I think of. Okay, he wrote the, the music for, for Hey Cinderella. And then, of course, he worked on Sesame Street for many, many years. He wrote some of the most beloved Sesame Street songs, including... Being green, C is for cookie, Abkadefki, D 
doing the pigeon, and of course, comb your face. Okay, so can I tell you the two that I have written down that you did not write down? Please. Or that you didn't say? Imagination by Ernie and Bert. That's a good one. It's one of my favorites. And Everybody Sleeps, which is just an example. Like, when I think of Joe Raposo, I think of those all those like very soft songs everybody sleeps and there's a bird on me and all those um that play over like real world footage of animals or kids yeah you did a million of those, and he sings those right he did somebody come and play also somebody come and play yeah and he was the, he was the musical director for the first five seasons of the show yeah i think he did that and then he left for a while and then came back in some capacity yeah he, he actually wasn't working on sesame street regularly at this time Right, and this was not long after he had written the theme song from Three's Company, which is one of my favorite little bits of Joe Raposo trivia. Oh, yeah, he but he only wrote the music, right? He didn't write the lyrics? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Did he have a co-writer on Three's Company? I thought so. Wait, wait, let me pretend that I look it up. That I'm. Let me pretend that I know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. He did just write it. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. His big hit. His two big hits, Being Green and the theme song from Three's Company. Man, that's, I mean, that's good enough. That's a legacy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, so um, we should also note that he passed away of cancer in 1989 at the very young age of 52. Three, three days shy of his 52nd birthday. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really young. But uh, he wrote a lot of great songs that we are still, I don't know about everybody else out there, but that, that I still listen to with some frequency to this day. Sure, me too, yeah. Do you have any other notes on Joe Raposo? Um, just that I'm excited to talk about his work in this movie because... Yeah, we can get into a little bit more like of that, but yeah. Street work, really. <laughs> you know, and I'm excited to get into that later when we yeah. get there. So the next credit is choreographer Anita Mann. Now, her name sounds like a joke from the Simpsons. It totally does. Like Bart prank calling Moe's Tavern and asking for Anita, last name man. Anita man. Hey, everybody. Anita man. But she is a real person. Right, and, then, and, then, and then Barney says, don't look at me, Mo. Right. <laughs> Something like that. I'm sure she got this her entire life. Uh-huh. I actually, I don't know if this is her married name or her maiden name or what, but, um, but she was a real person uh, or is a real person still with us she's a choreographer with a long and varied career she's won five emmys and uh according to an entry on the jim henson red book blog jim henson probably met her while they were both doing an episode of the variety show share in 1975 oh hmm. and she also did the choreography for the muppets go hollywood which we just recently talked about my favorite muppet production of all time yay um also she you did the choreography for the film Mystery Men starring Ben Stiller. Yeah, I, I don't remember dancing in that, but I haven't seen no, that. No, uh, but that's a strange credit. So <laughs> It and, is. Uh, IMDb lists her as a choreographer on the Monkees TV show. So so she probably worked with Muppet movie director Gene Strolley. Yeah. Yes, that's. it's always fun to find those little connections. And I wonder if Anita Mann and Jim Henson talked about James Frawley on the set of The Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is the about the time when Fozzie asks Kermit how long these opening credits are going to be. Kermit says, oh, just about another minute or so. It's so, I guess this doesn't seem as novel now when there have been a lot of movies where characters acknowledge that they're in a movie. I mean, we're going to get to a lot more of this later, but just something about 
the idea of opening the movie with the characters uh, expressing their boredom at having to sit through the credits of the people who made the movie is just remarkable. Yeah, well, and I love how casual it is. It's yeah. just like conversation, not like some in-your-face thing. It's not like, hey, everybody, we're breaking the fourth wall. The fourth wall's coming down for this one. It's just like, hey, Kermit, how long are these credits going to last? Yeah, yeah, and then uh, Fozzie says, my ears are popping, which is just a, a lovely little, uh, I don't know, could be an ad lib, I don't know, but I love it. Yeah, it's good. I really like that a lot. Yeah, it's one of those little moments. Uh, the next credit is production designer Harry Lang, or possibly Lange, but probably Lang. He yeah. doesn't have a lot of credits on IMDb, but the ones that he does have, uh, he has a, a few really impressive ones um, as a production designer or an art director or a set decorator. He worked on yeah. Monty Python's Meaning of Life, The Dark Crystal, Moonraker, The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. That is like a genuinely impressive collection. I mean, Moonraker is kind of whatever, I guess, but it's a James Bond movie, so that's that's its own kind of iconic, wh- whatever one, you know. And then, yeah, all the rest of them. I mean, Meaning of Life. Yeah, that movie must have been so much fun to do production design work. There's so many different sets. There's so many different weird settings. It, yeah, you know? the kinds of settings that you wouldn't have in other movies. Right. A, a French, there's a French bistro. There's uh, the boring, the Boer War. <laughs> yeah. A, you know, like a very church-like Catholic schoolroom. Right. You know, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that. Uh, it, yeah, that's fun. That's funny. A movie like that is like making eight movies at the same time. Right. Right. <laughs> now the next two credits we see are editor. Ralph Kemplin, and Director of Photography, Oswald Morris, BSC. Now, both of those guys had 50-year careers. Um, and this, like, both of them started in the early 30s, and both of their careers end with back-to-back The Great Muppet Caper and The Dark Crystal, in which they serve as the editor and the director of photography. Yeah. So... What's interesting to me, though, is other than those two movies with Jim Henson right at the end, they worked together seven other times, starting in 1937 and then ending in 1982. Um, And those collaborations include The Goodbye, Mr. Chips with Peter O'Toole, uh, John Huston's Moulin Rouge, and also John Huston's Beat the Devil, which is an an underrated comedy, I think. That's the one with Humphrey Um, Bogart? The one with Humphrey Bogart and Jennifer Jones and Gina Lola Brigida, yeah. Um, and then Oliver, the 1968 Academy Award winner for Best Picture, the the, all of, the musical version of Oliver Twist. Yeah. And uh, I actually, I meant to double check. Let me look here. Let me, uh, yes, they both were nominated for Academy Awards for their work on Oliver. Oh. They neither, neither of them won, but Ralph Kemplin was nominated for Best Film Editing and Oswald Morris was nominated for Best Cinematographer. Oh, good for them. It does seem yeah. unusual for an editor and a director of photography to have collaborated so many times, right? Well, you, you know, it's funny because I don't really know. I mean, obviously, yeah. you think of like a director, at, you know, collaborating with either of those people. That's true. But and, and like, you know, a couple of those films were with John Huston also. Right. You know, that, that they worked with. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess you could, 
I'm sure if you if you looked, you could maybe find other examples. Yeah, I don't know. And I wonder, too, if they were on some of these, one of them got hired and they were like, hey, if you're looking for an editor or if you're looking for a cinematographer, I know just the guy. Right, right. And yeah, and that could certainly be the case here. Well, and we can um, talk about this later, but Beat the Devil has Robert Morley in it as one of the main supporting characters. Oh, cool. And I kind of wonder if that's why he's in this movie. <laughs> could be. You know, later, which we can talk about. But. Yes. There's a good tease. Yeah. Um, but l- last thing I'll say about this, just because I know Martin Scorsese's worked pretty well, he's worked with cinematographer Michael Ballhaus many times and editor on almost all of his films. Okay. So then they have also collaborated on a dozen or more films. Yeah, okay. Just because they're the director over and over, you know? Yeah. And I mean... It makes sense that the editor and the cinematographer probably collaborate to some degree. I would think they would probably consult with each other, yeah. Because some editing is going to be done in camera, basically, right? And that's going to be the cinematographer's job. Right, yeah. And then, uh, you know, just look at how often the Coen brothers have uh, collaborated with Roderick Jane. Right, they work with Roderick Jane's and they work with Roger Deakins. That's true. I mean, I... I understand that Roderick James is them, but literally what you just said is, look how much this editor has worked with this cinematographer. So That's true, yes. <laughs> it, it was a little, a little joke for the, the film nerds out there. Right. Roderick James has been nominated for several Oscars also, which I think is Good fun. For, yeah, I, ho- I hope he wins one of these days. Um, yeah, he's not nominated this year, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. That's an oversight. Ballad of Buster Scruggs was great. By the time this episode is published, people will know who won the Oscar for for editing this year. But uh, yeah, he definitely should have been nominated. Um, And speaking of jokes for film nerds, uh, Fozzie asks Kermit, what does BSC stand for? When the Oswald Morris credit comes up, Kermit doesn't know. But the answer is British Society of Cinematographers. Is that what it is? Yeah. That makes sense. That's what it is. Uh, The other thing I have about Oswald Morris... He gave an interview, I believe, with American Cinematographer magazine when The Dark Crystal was coming out, where he talked about uh, Jim Henson and Frank Oz inviting him to dinner and telling him about this uh, big, elaborate movie they wanted to do called The Dark Crystal. But they wanted whoever was the cinematographer for that they wanted the same person to work on the great Muppet caper so they could work together first and build a rapport before they embarked on this huge ambitious thing. Does that so, make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of does. It's, it's pretty smart of them. Um, he was not that enthusiastic about it at first, but then eventually whatever they, they did or, or said, he got on board. So he ended up working on both of these. That's kind of amazing. Although I'm, I'm actually, I'm looking at his IMDb now. He won an Oscar for Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, best in, which makes i mean that's a gorgeous movie so what well deserved yeah definitely that's another cool thing about doing this uh podcast and really paying attention to all these credits is seeing how uh, what, what kind of great work all these people did right which names that we don't really think about too often and this is like this is a three-time academy award nominee his third one was for the whiz by the way oh yeah a movie that his contribution might be the best thing about it. <laughs> I am probably inclined to agree with that, yes. Because it's a really start, visually startling movie. And I love those songs, but uh, anyway, we, we, yeah. this, no, you... this, this isn't the Wiz podcast. <laughs> um, the next credit, executive producer Martin Starger. 
We talked about that guy last time. We did. You may remember him from having produced the Muppet movie. He also... And The Last Unicorn. Yes, exactly. He also (laughs) produced The Last Unicorn, Sophie's Choice, Nashville, and Mask, the one with Cher, not not The Mask with Jim Carrey. And, of course, he produced The Muppets Go Hollywood. My favorite thing ever made. Yay. Love that Muppets Go Hollywood. Anything else about uh, Martin Starger? No, I don't know anything about him, really. Yeah, no, there's there's not a lot else about him out there. Um, So I, I mentioned this before, just this whole gag with the Muppets watching the credits, reading the credits, it's it's really clever, and I love it. And it's, it's just our first hint of how self-aware this movie is going to be. Um, yeah, yes, there's a lot more to come. Yeah. So that's all I have for the actual content of what we're seeing here. Um, I, we do have a draft of the screenplay for this movie. It is not as early or, um, or uh, the one that we had for the Muppet movie was not fully formed. And there were a lot of changes between the screenplay, uh, the, the, the draft and the final movie. That is not as much the case with this, but uh, in the July 22nd, 1980 draft of this screenplay, the, this credit sequence has a lot more specific comments on the names that are coming up in the credits. So when Lord Grade's name comes up, Gonzo says, Grade's the English dude. Which seems <laughs> like kind of a weird thing for Gonzo to use the word dude. I don't know. I can see Floyd saying that. Yeah, yeah, that would sound perfectly natural coming from Floyd. Uh, when Jim Henson's name came up, Kermit would have said, Henson again, huh? How come he's always involved? That's not so, bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that's cute. Uh, for Joe Raposo, Kermit would have said, uh, Raposo's good. And then a, a second later, he would say, I worked with him before. Uh-huh. That's See, little... that's a cute joke. But it's a little, I think it's a little inside baseball, of course. Too. Probably, probably. Well, so th- then the next one, when, uh, I mean, this, this one we haven't seen yet. I think this will be in the next uh the next set of minutes, but there's a credit for producers, David laser and Frank Oz. And at that point in the draft, Fozzie was going to say, I don't think Oz is his real name. And then, and then Gonzo was going to say, didn't one of those guys play Yoda? And Kermit was going to say, yeah, laser, (laughs) which is very silly. I'm glad they didn't include a very specific reference to star Wars in this. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also kind of striking to think that that means this draft was written just two months after The Empire Strikes Back was released in theaters. So, right. But The Empire Strikes Back was a huge hit. Oh yeah, people probably would have. People probably would have loved to hear a Yoda joke. And 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 like to be fair, I'm thinking about it now. That would have aged pretty well. Everybody still knows who Yoda is. That's true, but I don't. I don't know if there was any guarantee. At the time, well, no, no, but I think it, I think that I think Yoda has aged better than Harry Krishna. <laughs> that is true. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, at the time, I guess they just thought that Harry Krishna guys were always going to be hanging around airports. Right, right. So, but instead, Yoda is always hanging around airports. Yoda is always. He was. He finds the Jedi texts. He sets fire to them at every airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. All he does, he goes to the airport bookstore, asks for the Jedi texts. 
I hate when he does that. He made me late for my flight last time. I was doing it. Well. Oh, Last Jedi is really great, you guys. Check that one out. <laughs> is that your recommendation okay. for the week? That's my, that's my recommendation. Star Wars colon episode eight colon The Last Jedi. I think one of those might be a dash. Star Wars dash episode eight colon The Last Jedi. Something like that. Do you have anything else for minutes one and two? No, I'm saving them for the next 96 minutes. That sounds good. All right, that means that is it for today. So everyone, please check out toughpigs.com on the internet, also on Facebook, Twitter, and various other places. Uh, We should note our theme music is by Stacey Rosen. Our logo is by Morgan Davey. So thanks to both of them for those things. Um, you can find me on Twitter at me, Ryan Rowe. You can find Anthony on Twitter at Zeppo Marxist. And if you're so inclined, please give us a positive review on iTunes or any other place that you can give us a positive review and tell all of your friends about the show. It's especially exciting now because we're starting this new season of The Great Muppet Caper. So all your friends who who claim this one as their favorite Muppet movie, tell them all about it. And join us again next week for another episode of Moving Right Along. Goodbye! Bye! Ah! Come and knock on our door. Come and knock on our door. We've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. We've a lovable space that needs your face. Please company too.